This is the Huddle. Every Thursday from noon to two. Presented by Hunt Services and Pacific Lamp and Supply. Let's go in! The Huddle. You are listening to The Huddle with Dave Wyman, Michael Bumpus, and Stacey Ross. We have some of your favorite Seahawks and Seahawks voices still to join over the next two hours as we preview Week 7. Mario Edwards joining us next. Rookie Olu Oluwatimi is joining us. Oh, he might even get a start here one of these days. Evan Brown, a non-participant in practice. We'll get to all that later. Right now, let's take a look back at what was a weird and frustrating Seahawks game. You know, guys, we're coming off of back-to-back games where we could talk about wins and really, really fun ones, right? We talked about 11 sacks against the Giants. And prior to that, we had talked about a win against Detroit and then a win against Carolina. And now we're talking about a loss. You knew it was going to happen, but Wyman, I sure wish it wouldn't have happened in a game where they had five trips into the red zone and one touchdown to show for it. Yeah, that was in what a total of 10 points. That was really frustrating. And then, you know, the defense really played well. I mean, they held them to, was it 214? Something like that? 214 yards? I mean, it was was ridiculous. So, yeah, I... Here's what I thought going into that game. If you'd have put my feet to the fire, I'd say I don't. This is going to be tough for them to win. Mm-hmm. That was a that's a good team. Yep. Said it all week. You know they were three and two last year. They went ten and one the rest of the way. They had one cancellation because of the Demar Hamlin. So that's that's where I think they're going. That's a good team, man. You look at some of those guys um, that like Hubbard and Wilson and Hendrickson on defense, and then. Probably the best connection with Joe Cool and, you know, Jamar Chase, not not to mention T. Higgins. I mean, mm-hmm. that was going to be – and I thought defensively they, they did great. Um, but, yeah, and, and, and I, we can get to that later. I, I feel like they're on the verge of just exploding defensively. But, you know, that with, – with Geno and now the questions about him and whether or not he's a, the kind of quarterback that can take you to the Super Bowl – I don't know if it's really that fair to judge him after a game against a team like the Cincinnati Bengals. And, you know, I, I feel like their record didn't reflect the kind of team that they are. It's taken teams longer right now, too. I mean, because of the lack of tackling and blocking and everything in in uh, preseason and then, you know, just the participation and things like that. I think it's taken teams longer. And I think this is going to be a team that's going to go on a run here. So uh, bad loss good loss. I mean, I think it's acceptable. Um, Wyman mentioned his name, but Bump, what are some of your thoughts on Gino coming out of this one? The more I look at the film, the less blame I put on him. Did he make mistakes? Yeah, for sure. No one plays a perfect game. He missed some throws. There's one to JSN at the left sideline he could have made um, that would have put them up. But the more I look at it, the more I'm like, all right, I can question a lot of things. I can question offensive line. I can question Geno. I can question the route running by the receivers. I can question the play calling. There's a bunch of things that determine a football game, but the common thing is to watch the guy that has a football in his hands all the time and say, well, he wasn't doing what he was supposed to do. And I go, ah, I guess that's fair, but when you really look at the game at a deeper level, you see how everything's connected. Yeah. And I say, look, it wasn't a great game, but uh, I'm not ready to replace him like some of these crazies that I hear uh, out public <laughs> you know, on Twitter, and I'm like, what are y'all doing? Yeah, a really? lot of frustration over both uh, Gino and DK from some fans this week, Wyman. Yeah, I, I mean, I get the DK thing. People think he's selfish and things like that, and, you know, we'll see how that plays out. I've always been on the side of defending DK just because, you know, whenever it comes to that kind of stuff, he's aware of it. Like, that's half the battle. But comments, 
you know, not not great, but I'm still going to be on his side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the only thing I worry about, though, I mean, you know this bomb better than anybody. Like the the worst piss ants on the field are defensive backs, right? And I love them, and I, you know, they're on That's my facts. side of the it's ball. Simply facts. Yeah, it's just they're going to get after him. Yeah. So you know that that's the thing I, I do worry about. But yeah, it's a. Uh, I, I don't think it. I think everybody kind of went a little crazy after that loss, and that's why I was talking about. Look, the Bengals are are really. Apparently, I say that weird. People were texting in the Bengals. Bengals? Is it, is it Bengals? Bengals? I think bangles? people have sometimes a hard pronunciation. Bengals. Bengals. Then you yeah. say the Bengals. But I think it's a good team, man. <laughs> I'm, I, I just, I just think you look. You're gonna, you're gonna lose a few. I mean, you know, you saw San Francisco go in and get beat, and that happens every year. Where like you see the game, like mm-hmm. uh, their game against the Cowboys, and you're like, oh, the 49ers are just gonna roll the whole way. No, that's they get figured out. Something happens, and then you know, I think it's the same way with the Bengals. I, I feel like they. They are a really good team in the AFC that they're they're going to go on a roll here. Uh, we're going to need to see more from the offense. Unfortunately, I don't know how much healthier they're going to be. We got some promising news yesterday, a bump from Pete Carroll, who said, look, Damian Lewis in walkthrough, Jared Curran in walkthrough. What we didn't know at the time was it was his limited participants. Evan Brown did not practice. He has a hip injury. Uh Pretty much every other offensive starter was limited in some way. This group needs to get healthy. What did you see from the offensive line in particular Sunday? Um, I saw guys who were getting just worn out eventually, man. I mean, it's so hard when you don't have five guys who consistently play, right? And your right guard can feel and understand what that right tackle is thinking. Your, your center knows when and where to help off just off the field because a lot of the communication with offensive line is nonverbal. It's like you're feeling the weight of the three-take leave, so now I can climb and go there. Or your, your, your center is helping out with this one tech right there, keeping his eyes on the mic to make sure he's not going. There's so many things that happen that – you want those five guys to play together as much as possible. And I think Andrew Dixon did a good job of getting these dudes ready. Um, but I also think the the Bengals had a nice little game plan for them. They knew these guys hadn't played a lot together. They're going to stunt. They're going to twist. going to do all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And late in the game, they did that. And you kind of saw that they hadn't played well together. Mm-hmm. And some guys just got beat, man. The crazy thing about this whole thing is, is it's almost like these guys aren't allowed to have bad games to people. I've never met or played against anybody who always had a good game. You think of your favorite player right now if you're listening on the radio world. Think of your favorite player of all time. He's had plenty of bad games in his life. It just happens. But it's um, it's more evident when the offensive line has bad games because now Gino doesn't get to throw the football. Now you're yelling at Gino and trying to figure out what's going on. And that's the area that's the most murky where and and it's also the area where people complain the most offensive line play right. and that's why we have big ray come on because there's lots of times where where's the chip block why didn't gino you know that guy he's responsible for that guy who's you know coming off naked off the corner you know right. i mean there's there's so many different ways to judge that but i do think that they kind of started to wear down i mean mm-hmm. that was inevitable i mean you heard the Giants complaining about their different iterations of offensive line combinations and all that. And then you, you know, you, you hear other teams like, oh, well, we got banged up offensive linemen. We were in a game where we had one guy left on the sideline. Yeah, there was wasn't a lot of coverage lineman. in that one, strangely. Like you, you, and actually, I saw Will Disley lined up as a tackle uh, on a tackle over with. And then, you know, those guys just, there were some weird things like, 
You know those old football cards whenever they show an offensive lineman, uh, you know, they, they would put their, their arms up yeah. like they're blocking with their elbows? Yep. He had a block like that. I'm like, this is not high school, bro. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, it just kind of wore down. And I think my biggest complaint, and I say this every time I bring this up, that I'm not nearly as good of an offensive coordinator as Shane mm-hmm. is. Uh, so, Shane Waldron, but... Getting the tight ends in there, I saw Colby Parkinson and I saw Will Disley on a couple of different instances just max out Hubbard and Hendrickson. Those two guys can actually block a guy like that. And the tight end, you know, 13 personnel, the three tight end formation, I love that. I thought maybe they would go a little bit more heavy with that. Um, that would be my only complaint. But, yeah, it just uh, it was just a, a really good defense. And the other thing is we didn't talk about their defensive backs. They had six picks going into that game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and they had a, a good turnover ratio. I think they were plus four. They had two picks in that game. That There was – guys were covered. I mean, their, their, their defensive back, their back end is really good, even though they don't have a bunch of – it's kind of a no-name defense, right? You, nobody really knows who Trey Hendrickson is, but they, uh, they're ballers. Well, Trey, Trey Hendrickson with now, I think, seven sacks. Um, let's talk about Seattle's there, yeah. defense uh, for a minute. Uh, Bump, and we'll get to this later in the show, thinks that JSN is about to have a breakout game this weekend, and he's going to tell us why a little bit later in the show. You mentioned to start this segment and to start the huddle that you think the defense is about to take off. You said, oh, we'll talk about it later. Let's talk about it now. I mean, we got about two more minutes here, Dave, at least. So uh, why do you think the defense is about to really take off? Jaron Reed has been playing exceptionally well. And then Draymond Jones, I don't know if you guys saw the sack. I did a football Mm -hmm. one-on-one on it. Holy moly. And, you know, we asked Jaron about it, and he's like, you know, um, I've seen him do that in practice, so it didn't surprise me. But, like, he just, 325-pound guy, just threw him to the ground. And then his, his shed and getting off the block and tackling Burrow was just like that. I mean, it was just, you know. And then, you know, I'm watching the film on the way back on the plane. I'm like, there's three guys that really, really stand out to me as just being different. One is Devin Witherspoon. And he had three knockdowns, three passes defense. The other is Jamal. And I know people complain about him, but you look at the tackles that he made, he's special. He just Mm -hmm. closes distance faster than anybody. And the other one is Quandre Diggs. And KJ kind of mentioned this, and I felt like they got him up in the box a little bit more because I think Julian Love can play Mm -hmm. the deep safety. They got to get that guy involved in the in the run game. He is he squares people up, and that's coming from his free safety position. So, you know, and I'm not even talking about you know like um, the the defensive ends like Boye. The yeah. two linebackers have been fantastic, but to me, those three guys really stood out. The other guy I didn't even mention, Trey Brown. I mean, just. That was perfect coverage, that interception that he got. And that was Joe Burrow throwing to Jamar Chase. That guy always makes plays. He made a play on T. Higgins that drew a penalty. And And you called that because right before that play, you mentioned Trey Brown makes big plays. And then what happens? Yeah, well, I mean, look, you take enough, you make enough guesses, bump, and then uh, you're right at one point. And don't get bashful now, Dave. Yeah, (laughs) no, but he just, and he doesn't look like he doesn't flash like one of those guys that is just different the way he moves around the field, like the three guys I mentioned. But he's just always in the right spot, and he just knows how to control his body, and he knows how to 
make big plays. So, yeah, it just uh, I, I think this defense is on the verge of doing something special. Well, fitting that we ended on that sentiment because the first player we're going to be speaking to is defensive lineman Mario Edwards. We're going to go back-to-back Seahawks interviews here on both sides of the line. Rookie Olu, Olu Watimi, is going to join us following Mario. But let's figure out what's working so well for Seattle's defense. That's coming up next on The Huddle. This is The Huddle, presented by Hunt Services and Pacific Lamp and Supply, every Thursday from noon to 2 on Seattle Sports. All right, you are listening to The Huddle with Dave Wyman, Michael Bumpus, and Stacey Rost. We are going to grab Mario Edwards and rookie Oluwatimi um, after Seahawks practice. We still got a little bit of time left on the clock, so we're going to keep an eye on that. Uh, these guys still getting some work in ahead of a big Week 7 game against the Arizona Cardinals. In fact, let's start looking ahead to the Cardinals. Um, I've, I'm done talking about a loss. We're, we're putting it behind okay. us. Uh, it'll, it'll come up, I'm sure, a couple times today just by nature of the conversation we're having about the team. But, you know, it's weird, you guys. I uh, am looking at an Arizona Cardinals team that looks very different from the one I expected to see this season, Wyman. Yeah, you know, I heard you guys, I think I heard you guys talking to James Conner on the way in. Is he a little banged up, the running back? Yeah, he is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Talking about, yeah. Their run game is pretty damn good. I mean, you know, if you look at uh, their number five as far as just, you know, total yardage, which teams have played different, you know, number of games, but... They're number two in yards per carry at 5.2. And Miami, by the way, number one at 6.5. I not would, have, time. would have not expected that one. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you look at uh, as far as, uh, you know, uh, they're tied with Miami as far as 20-plus runs. So they can run the ball. Um, Josh Dobbs is very ordinary. Um, really smart guy. Guy had like a 4.0 at Tennessee. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's, he's a sharp quarterback. But... He just, I just don't think that's a guy that can beat you. Yeah. Um, the run, though, and I think it's interesting because the Seahawks, you know, they're ranked number five, but as far as yards per carry, I think they're number one still yeah. at like 2.9. So that'll be a little test for them because, you know, you look, they're not super heavy up front, right? They run that two-man defensive line, you know, formation with the two outside backers. And a lot of times, like on the sack that Draymond, Jones got that we talked about he's up in a two-point stance there's one guy in a three-point stance so uh, but yeah this will be you know if I'm them I'm gonna want to come in here and test that run defense and see if uh, they can get that going because that's really the one area that they excel bump where do you see some opportunities lying ahead with Arizona here well, you, you look at their defense overall they're 28th against the run they're 24th against the pass they're 22. So, I mean, if there's anything that you want to see going for this uh, the Seahawks team is you want to get that run going, and uh, you want the pass game to have a, a bounce-back type of day. With the Arizona Cardinals, though, man, they're just um, a feisty team. Uh, they're a team that's that's going to play hard, and um, what you also can count on is that in the fourth quarter, they tend to play their worst football. So it's like, okay, just get through quarters one, two, and three, <laughs> And, and progress every quarter. You get to the four, you have a little lead, or the game's tight. If you stay disciplined, this is a team that has so many moving parts that they're liable just to 
to poop in the bed. <laughs> <laughs> what was the stat you had about their fourth quarter? Uh, oh, the score. Oh, they've, they've been outscored 64 to 7 in the fourth. Oh, you can God. lose a game in the fourth quarter, apparently, <laughs> very much, is, is what they're They are learning. not trying to win in the fourth quarter. No, I mean, um, we're going to speak with uh, ESPN's Josh Weinfuss a, a bit later in the show, coming up at 1.30, before we speak to John Boyle about some Seahawks updates. And uh, I know that there are some injuries we're all tracking. I will say this, um, some news that's uh, that's come out over the last 15 minutes as the Arizona Cardinals are out there practicing. Buda Baker out there. Some reporters saying they'd be shocked if they didn't see him playing on Sunday. Mm. That guy's a difference maker. He mm. is. Really good player. Absolutely. So uh, obviously a name that we are all going to be watching as we head into Sunday, in addition to a few Seahawks names of our own. Uh, someone who you will see out there, of course, is defensive lineman Mario Edwards. Mario Edwards coming straight from practice to join us now for the huddle. Uh, Mario, hi. How Thanks for joining us. Thank I'm you. well. Uh, we were just talking about your guys' next opponent. I'm sure that you guys have spent plenty of time talking about the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, tell me a bit about what you see from this team. Uh, it's definitely a team we got to respect, uh, regardless of the, the record. Uh, definitely something that we've been seeing week in and week out. Uh, any team can win on any given Sunday, yeah. so we definitely got to go out there and play with our A game. What you think about your Seminoles this year, man? What, they went fourth in the country <laughs> right now? You been following them? Yeah, man, I'm proud of them. At first, uh, they was disappointing me once we left, but, you know, this year they, they're getting it back on track. It's fun to see. Yeah. You're talking about, um, you know, respecting every team, of course, because you guys don't look at, like, numbers like, oh, they're the number two this, they're number three. You're just watching film, right, and going, right. okay, that guy's a baller, that guy's a baller, <laughs> right? Right. I right. mean, so that, I think for all of us fans, we look at the numbers and stuff mm-hmm. like that, but for you – what do you see on their offense that could be a threat to you guys? Uh, their running game is definitely a threat. Uh, they have two guys that can definitely run it uh, in the backfield. And Dobbs himself, uh, even when I was in my little stint with Tennessee, he was there for a little bit. So yeah. even seeing him practice and now seeing what he's doing in the actual game is stuff I've already seen when I was in Tennessee. Yeah. Um, but definitely have to get pressure on him, make him uncomfortable, and try to stop the run game. I was just saying, he was like a 4.0 student at Tennessee. <laughs> Guys, he's right. a smart football player. Yeah, very yeah. smart. Yeah. He's like a rocket scientist. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> He's a show-off is what yeah, he is. Yeah, just nerd. I hope that's in. the trash talk He out came there. in on day one and knew the playbook by the time it was practiced. Knew the checks. Knew everything. Wow. That's wild. I mean, it's so impressive. You almost wish you didn't have to root against him. Like, Man, this guy seems pretty cool. <laughs> right. um, you guys uh, defensively have been playing some amazing ball. I mean, obviously, there was the Giants game when, like, everyone was able to get in there and get to the quarterback. Um but in this game, you guys followed it up. And that was, Mario, one of my biggest questions, right? And and I've been here, so I've seen the defense kind of like get up and down. And so I was like, well, can they can they do it against a really good offense? And you did. Right, <laughs> and it right. was great. I'm sure you feel great about that. But what's what's clicking for you guys? Um, we've been harping on consistency. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Pete says it all the time. Hurt says it all the time. Anybody can be great once. Anybody can do it once. So we harp on coming in and doing it day in and day out, just being consistent. Yeah. And it also comes with just the communication. I think we're starting to get comfortable with one another, knowing what guys rush certain ways, knowing what their signals are and how we can benefit off one another. There's a good mix, I feel like, of uh, veterans and rookies on that defense, man. What's it, What's the, the communication like with a veteran like you when you're talking to a rook first time in Cincinnati <laughs> or something like that? What type of knowledge do you bless them with? Um, a lot of things are just uh, keys or tendencies. Uh, we, we, we harp real big on listening to the offensive line. They may say something or give us a word, and we pay attention to what they've done. So if we hear that word again, we kind of know what to expect. Mm-hmm. Um, and even just with communications, uh, during practice we do more verbal speaking, but then we have our signs and our signals when we're in the game that we kind of go through that so the offensive line don't know what we're running and right. what we're saying. 
And you got to use those this weekend because of the I was going to say, you guys are back <laughs> home oh, yeah. this weekend. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think explain to people, because I played in the Kingdom, you could be standing this close like oh, yeah. you and I are. You can't hear anything. Right. 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 So you guys got like a, a series of hand signals and things like mm-hmm. that that you, that's a, another thing you got to you gotta think about and remember and stuff. Is that strictly how it's going out there? Uh, a little bit of everything. I mean, communication, communication. If we're all on track and we're all together, then we're all right. You know, and if we're doing something all wrong, then we're all right. You know, as long yeah. as we're all communicating and we're doing the same thing, then right. We're, we're right. Um, you guys uh, facing an Arizona team that's uh, kind of in rebuild mode, but also has surprised a lot of people. Um, have there ever been games that you've gone into where you guys were like expecting one version of a team and then they've been a different team that year and you're like, oh, like, <laughs> how do uh, we get ready for that? Uh, yeah, yeah, um, definitely. I mean, a lot of the times we're watching film on how they played other guys. And yeah. then when there's time to line up against us, it's totally See different players. Different. So uh, we go in there and look at how they play a certain front or how they play certain guys and then when we we get in there it's a little different you know we may be more physical or may do more movements or things like that so it's kind of difficult to kind of scheme on them well week seven i think we're in right mm-hmm. now how's the body feeling right now i think people forget that they watch y'all play <laughs> and you make it seem so easy out there when you guys are playing man but they don't know like it's a it's the temple you oh, really yeah. gotta take oh, yeah. care of it how you feeling uh feeling good man actually shoot i, I got on a massage table about six last night didn't get off to about 11 o'clock so man. I make sure Wednesdays I get a lot of body work. Um, and I think just being a veteran now, kind of understanding how to take care of my body, how to hydrate properly, get in the training room, feeling pretty good. Is there anything that took you a minute to give up when you were younger? Like, I remember we had Chris Carson, obviously when he was with this team, in like his third or fourth year, he was like, I just gave up chicken wings for the first time. <laughs> it's been tough. <laughs> well, for me, I was a big uh, fast food guy, and yeah. I would eat McDonald's. Yeah. I mean, don't kill me, but I would eat McDonald's. That's okay. And I've probably been uh, McDonald's free for about three years. Nice. Yeah. So, nice. We're talking yeah. about it like yeah. it's like a dirt. We're like, man, stay strong. We're in a therapy. Yeah. You had a nice. five, Good job. five-hour massage? Oh, yeah. Well, we oh, do stretch. Oh. She puts me on the mat, and she stretches me out. She cups me, grasping, uh, Electron Plus to kind of get the muscles firing and stuff for the week. So she takes her time, and she gets me right. I never restricted myself from any fast food whatsoever. That, <laughs> can you honestly, time. Though, like if you, let's say during the off season, you go and, you know, a couple of days to McDonald's or whatever, mm. can you feel it? Yeah, yeah. I, I feel it like a more drowsy, but my stomach feels it the most. Mm-hmm. Okay. It messes, messes <laughs> my stomach up the most. Yeah. All right. He is Mario Edwards. You have a big couple of days ahead of you to prepare for this one. So we are going to let you go. We do appreciate you taking no the time, Mario, Mario. Though, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so, for having me. All right. Seahawks defensive lineman Mario Edwards, kind enough to join us on the huddle. We are going to talk to the rookie Olu next. Don't go anywhere. This, this is the huddle. Presented by Hunt Services and Pacific Lamp and Supply. Every Thursday from noon to two on Seattle Sports. You are listening to The Huddle with Dave Wyman, Michael Bumpus, Stacey Rost, and right now, rookie Olu Oluwatimi. Hey, Olu, how's it going? It's going well. How you doing? Uh, good. We, uh, we are getting ready for, uh, obviously, an Arizona game, as are you guys. And it's been interesting to, to kind of talk about this team and look ahead. I am actually going to start by just taking a quick look back. You guys, just as an offensive line... I know it hasn't been the start of the season you've wanted because of injuries, but you have been able to weather so much as a group. What's the group environment like back there? I mean, we're a very laid-back group. Um, 
we we just be joking around, like just messing around. They be yeah. giving they be giving the rookies a hard time, but we, we don't care. We just give it right back. To <laughs> Are them. you getting picked on back there, Olu? Yeah, you could, this is a safe space. A little bit, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, he's a six three, three hundred and twenty pound man who's getting. So is everyone else in that room? <laughs> I'm not picking on Olu, but you know, you never know. Oh, the word on the street is you, you might have some vocals. You sing a little bit. What? I, I, just, I just read something that said you did a talent show mm-hmm. and you sang the song When I See You by Fantasia. Was he, were you really singing or was it just you were just messing around? No, nah, I was putting on a show. I don't got the best voice, but I got a little bit of confidence. A little so song. If I have to, I'm, I'm going to go and try to put on a show. That's what's up. <laughs> Fantasia's a bold choice. <laughs> yeah, That's a lot of confidence. Yeah. <laughs> So you, you said that uh, if the guys give you a hard time, you just give it back. Right back. Okay. Well, it's not – what kind of hazing are they Are they just – we, we don't do no hazing in our O-line room. We just got simple rookie duties like making sure the fridge filled with, with drinks. Um, but, yeah. you know, they always they always saying – calling me a rook, um, rookie at rook, or uh, they just – anything I say. If I'm wrong in a the conversation, then they just make sure that they know I'm wrong um, or I know that I'm wrong. So that, that'd be it. Yeah. Who's the worst with it? Obviously, there's nothing malicious, but like, who's the worst? Who dishes it out the most? Man, well, <laughs> Stone is the funny. Stone Foresight, he he's he's the best with that. Like he has, he does it like just being funny, and then like you you do it right back to him, and he just be laughing and just be back and forth. <laughs> you made a, a couple a couple of stops in college, mm-hmm. and you know you guys are like the first generation to to really be able to do that freely and stuff. And to me, that just shows sign of maturity because you put yourself in a position to where you felt like you can work on your, your game a bit more. Mm-hmm. Have you always been described as a mature dude? I'm sitting next to you too, man. You seem a lot older than, than your age. Is, is that something that you've always been? Yeah, I've always been pretty mature, but at the same time, like I like to have fun. So yeah. I'll be joking around, but uh, yeah, I'll describe myself as mature. Well, and what, who helped you make those decisions when you're in college to kind of move and put yourself to where you felt like you could show everything that you can do? Uh, it was definitely my older brother. Um, he's a year older than me. He played at Maryland. Um, he he gave me good guidance, and then just like leaning on my family too. But yeah, I mean, it was kind of like the the thought spurred in my head, and I just go ask my my brother and my family what they're thinking, and you know, they give me the blessing, and I'm like, all right, let's do it. Yep. So Olu, it was it was uh, Air Force, Virginia, mm-hmm. then Michigan. Yep. Yeah, we t- I talked to Jake Bobo about this a little bit, like, and he described the whole transfer portal thing as being like speed dating. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what is that process like? Are you getting? Is it like getting recruited all over again, or are you doing all the research? How does how does that go? It's like getting recruited all over again, but I just um, like when it was time for for me to transfer from Virginia to Michigan, I kind of knew that I wanted to be at Michigan um and I was honestly just hoping that they wanted me and it worked out um there were some other schools I was looking at but Michigan was definitely the school I wanted to be at and it just worked out perfectly and took a visit there in another school and then ultimately like the decision was made like three days after I I took my visit there yeah you just knew yeah okay so you are taking like a like a recruiting trip basically yeah I took a recruiting trip gotcha see I want to know is like when you've played for multiple schools, who you claim? Because I've worked with someone who was a quarterback for multiple schools, and he would claim whoever was the highest ranked team at the time. <laughs> yeah. So he'd be like, he'd I mean, be like, you know, Michigan you know, my Hurricanes. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, so Michigan. I mean, or is 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 there kind of like one school in particular where you were like, this was home to me at the end of the day? I mean, Virginia is uh, definitely like home. Yeah, you were there sure. the longest. I was there the longest. You just made like met my lifelong brothers um but like what michigan did for me um 
you know, I love I love Coach Harbaugh. I love Coach Moore. That was our O-line coach. Um, I got a, lo- a lot of love for both schools. Um, I mean, when I'm talking trash, I'm talking more trash about Michigan just because, yeah. you know, we, we win and we dominate. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I still love Virginia. Like, uh, <clears throat> I remember we played uh, NC State a couple weeks ago, and I was talking to Drake Thomas about that game. So, like, I'm, I'm still tapped into yeah. Virginia. Yeah, love it. Man, so when I was in high school, um, I wanted to play every position on the field. So I told my coach one time, I go, man, let me line up at lineman one time just so I can feel what's going on. We're playing a team that we should beat, right? <laughs> and I got dominated. Obviously, I'm a little dude, right? Just drove me to the ground. And from that point on, I go, man, that life in the trench, trenches is something else. Yeah. And then I watch you guys with all the combinations that you've had on the O-line this year. Um, and people don't realize you guys got your pre-snap stuff, and then as soon as it's live, you're feeling a lot mm-hmm. of what's going on. Yeah. With, with all the, the shuffling that's been going on with that offensive line, has it been difficult to kind of learn each guy, or do you feel like you guys pretty much know um, where you're going to be and, and how one's going to react to something? Yeah, I mean, playing new positions can be you know challenging because like you kind of have a spatial awareness uh when you're at a certain position of like all right when you're going too far you know the defender's about to make a a counter move some one way or something so that could be a little challenging but for the most part like evan like coach uh coach carroll said like evan has been the glue for the room like just making sure everybody's knowing what they're doing like telling people what to do pre-snap anticipating what the defense is going to do and just trying to you know help everybody else out and then when i've been in there um, I try to mimic it as best as possible. Obviously, right. like, you know, he's been in this league for uh, a long time, and I'm just trying to learn as much as I can. Mm-hmm. And, and when I'm in there, you know, whether he's hurt or whether we're doing a line shuffle, then just trying to uphold that standard. <clears throat> I feel like Andy Dickerson is, like, the one guy we don't hear from a lot. Yeah. Tell us about him. Just describe, like, you know, because really as a coach, I mean, you're a teacher, right? You try to make it uh, make sense to your players. Tell us about, like, his style and his personality. Yeah, I mean, he, he's as laid back as the O-line coach uh, gets. Um, and I, like, the moment I got drafted and, um, he, you know, I was talking to him, I, I was like, okay, this, this dude's pretty laid back. But I didn't know if that, that was just on draft day. And then I got here through rookie minicamp and through OTAs, and I was like, oh, this is who he is. So he's very laid back, keeps the room chill because, you know, nobody wants to be all uptight all day because not, then more mistakes are going to come. And uh, whenever we make a mistake, as long as they're not just repeat offenders, like he's going to be able to work with us and, and coaches and tell us what we should have saw if we thought we were looking at something and things of that nature. Yeah, it's, I remember uh, last week when we talked to you, you said the, when you had to go in for the Lions game, you know, you had to run in there that you weren't nervous. Mm-hmm. Like you, you were just, is that a byproduct of Dickerson and just let, he's a laid back guy. So you're a yeah. laid back player. Yeah, I mean, as long as I didn't mess up the snap, I mean, Andy wasn't going to lose. Like, you know, he he wasn't going to – I don't want to curse, but he wasn't going to get <laughs> mad. You. So, uh, but, yeah, like, <clears throat> yeah, I had I just had confidence that I knew what, what I was going to have to do and just strain and execute. Yeah. Yeah. He is rookie Olu Oluwatimi, kind enough to join us on the huddle on a very busy practice day. We know you guys just got done. You got to go get ready with the rest of your day. So we appreciate you taking time out, Olu. Thank you. Thank you you guys for having me. All right, you guys are going to hear from Gino next. Don't go anywhere. This is the Huddle. Presented by Hunt Services and Pacific Lamp and Supply. Every Thursday from noon to 2 on Seattle Sports. Going in the trenches with Ray Roberts in about 10, 15 minutes before we get to it. The latest from Gino Smith at the podium now. There have been a few times after losses, including on Sunday, where you've gone out of your way to say, put it on me, this is on me. 
why is that so important to you to that level of accountability? Yeah, uh, well, I think I'm just being honest, to be honest, you know, when, I, when, I'm, when I'm up there speaking or when I'm always talking to you guys, I'm really being honest about how I feel about the game. And, uh, you know, anytime you get the ball in your hands in the fourth quarter, uh, two-minute drive or, you know, with a chance to go and take the lead, which we did, we had that opportunity, um, those are the moments I live for. And uh, I look forward to those opportunities. And uh, I feel like when the ball's in my hand, when the ball is in the offense's hands and we have a chance to go take the game, that's what we need to do. You know, that's what we need to do. Doing. So when it doesn't happen, um, I always look at myself and say, what do I need to do better? And, um, you know, as one of the leaders on this team, uh, it's always going to be on me and never anyone else. You know, I'm going to always put it on my shoulders. And uh, it's not a specific reason why I do it. It's just me being honest. What do you think the, the message to the rest of the team is? Um, hopefully accountability. Um, you know, like I said, I'm always trying to find ways to get better and improve. I felt like, uh, you know, this, this last weekend, uh, this game wasn't my best game. I felt like I could have done a lot of things better. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to back down from that. Um, you know, I'm a human being. Uh, I'm not perfect, make a lot of mistakes. But uh, I'm working on correcting those. And so I'm never going to back down from those challenges. And, uh, in, in fact, I look forward to the next opportunity to go out there and, and kind of correct some of those things. That position in particular, would you say accountability might be the most important uh, I think in just in life, I think that's just the way I view life overall, um, not just in sports, but in overall in life. I think it's, it's great to be accountable, and uh, I think it, it'll it'll help everybody out just being more accountable. I guess not to belabor these points, but there was a play with about five minutes to go where it looked like Jackson was maybe got open down the middle. That play got a lot of attention. Kind of mm-hmm. When you looked at that, did you feel like you should have gotten that to him? Or was yeah, no, he for sure was open and should have gotten the ball, and that would have given us the lead. And like I said, that was one of the mistakes that I made in the game, which was you know a few of them, which was a few too many uh, that I made in the game that uh, could have helped us win that game. And so that again, that's why when being honest, I say you know I put that right on me because everyone else did their job and I just failed to do mine. With Jackson, it seems like that was his most productive game at the very least. How have you seen him kind of take strides forward each week? I mean, he's gotten away from the wrist injury now, too. How much have you yeah. seen that kind of change you know, I've, I've always said it, man. I thought Jackson, uh, the way that, you know, even after he uh, got the injury and just, you know, kept rolling through it, you know, you, you saw his toughness. And um, I think as the weeks come along, he's a rookie. And he's got, a, you know, everyone's got high expectations. We've all got high expectations for him. He's got high expectations for himself. And so um, with the games, man, it's just, it's a process. And so I was always speaking about that process. And I felt like Jackson was doing all the right things. And, uh, you know, you can see where he's coming along and where he's starting to fit in into this offense and his role is going to, you know, continue to grow. And, um, you know, I think he's a tremendous player and he's going to continue to get better uh, over time. When you look at this Arizona defense, some of the numbers are deceiving. What do you know to be true about that unit? Yeah, uh, anytime, you know, you have a defensive head coach, uh, defensive-minded, tough-minded head coach uh, and, and Coach Gannon, um, you're going to have tough dudes out there on the field. And so they've got a bunch of guys who are out there flying around. They're playing extremely hard. Uh, when you watch the film, you know, their record uh, doesn't dictate their effort. Um, they're out there giving it all they got, they got um, and they're flying around. And so they're going to, you know, be another tough challenge for us, man. It's the league. Uh, every team's going to, you know, have some, some, some good things about them and some things that uh, we can exploit. And so uh, the, the key is to manage those things and, and to make the plays when they come. Even if the result wasn't what you guys wanted, seeing the defense do what it did this past game and really in the previous couple games, just how much does that like that. I mean, I was so I was so excited for those guys. Uh, you can see where things are, you know, kind of.
coming together for the defense, and um, they're exactly where we thought they'd be all along. Um, they got so many great players, such great leadership on that side, um, great coaches, uh, you know, just overall a bunch of talent and, and guys who have, have passion and who love the game. And so you can see where, I mean, they're a problem. Uh, we saw it in camp. You know, we saw it all camp, how, how they just presented so many matchups, uh, matchup problems. And so um, I'm just excited for those guys. I, I appreciate having a defense like that because uh, it makes our job on offense that much easier. Jake got the ball, Bobo, a couple times too. When, when you get him and Jackson kind of both consistently getting the ball, you know, a little bit more, how much can that help you guys offensively? Man, I think uh, the more efficient we are, the more we, uh, you know, the more I can put the ball into the hands of the playmakers, uh, which we got a bunch of those guys. And, and Jake, uh, Jake and Jackson are, are two, two of the guys that we count on. I think the better our offense continues to be. Um, also, you know, with DK and Tyler and uh, just our running backs and, and our tight ends, um, we present so many matchup, matchup problems for defenses. And so um, we just want to get the ball into the hands of the right guy and allow that guy to make plays. And uh, we got so many guys that can do it. So uh, it's really not about one or two particular guys, really just making the right read and, and, and letting them do their thing. I believe Sunday is National Tight Ends Day. Yeah. Why do you think tight ends are the only ones that get their own holiday? Oh, uh, they're special, man. They're special. Um, you know, they're the, I always talk about they're the glue guys on this offense, and uh, I think they deserve their own holiday just for all the dirty work they put in. You know, they got to be pass blockers, run blockers, um, you know, sometimes get overshadowed in the passing game. But uh, as you can see, when Noah, you know, tight rope that sideline, you know, they can make special plays too. And so we see that all year. And, uh, you know, it'll be, a, it'll be a great day on Sunday because of that. But, you know, you, you tweeted after the game, we're going to be all right. Were you speaking about yourself or the team? Yeah, uh, myself, the team, uh, everything in general. I think, you know, um, after that game, man, a lot of emotions. And uh, me as one of the leaders, one of the more passionate guys, I feel like, um, you know, I, I didn't want to get caught up in my emotions. And so I just understand that um, there's a bigger picture to it. We got a lot of games uh, to play. Obviously, I, like I said, I made some mistakes um, that wouldn't be the first time I made a mistake in my life, right? But, you know, I made some mistakes that I wish I could have back. And um, just knowing that there's a bigger picture and, uh, you know, we, we will be fine. You know, we'll be okay. You mentioned all the matchups you guys present on offense with all the weapons. How, why do you think those matchups aren't translating to production on third down and the red zone? Uh, just for whatever reason, the execution hasn't been there. And so, um, you know, I think, again, it comes down to what we do on the field. Uh, it, it comes down to me putting the ball into the hands of the playmakers and getting the ball uh, to them in rhythm so that they can make plays. So um, I think it just comes down to that overall execution. Uh, just in those moments, those specific moments, the third downs, the red zone, I feel like we can be a lot better. And so overall, I just got to do a better job of getting the ball out fast, being accurate, and allowing the guys to make plays in space. This accountability, you know, and in professional sports, it's always something. There's a reason for this or a reason for that. A lot of guys will deflect and say this and that. Was to the New York experience part of you owning up and being as accountable as you are? You say it's what you, how you approach your life as well. But has your career arc contributed to how you conduct yourself? Um, great question, but I'll say no. Um, I've just always been that way. Um, I'm a perfectionist at heart, and so I've always been that way. Um, you know, I don't, I don't see it as anything hard or anything like that. It's not, it's not tough to be accountable. I just think that's who I am. That's how I was raised, and so, um, you know, in my upbringing, in my household, you know, you had to be accountable. So I just kind of took it to life. All right, thank, you. Thank, you. thank you. Thank you. All right, how does the Seahawks offense get better in the red zone? We're going in the trenches with Ray Roberts next on The Huddle. 
This, this is the huddle. Every Thursday from noon to two. Presented by Hunt Services and Pacific Lamp and Supply. Let's go in. The huddle. You are listening to The Huddle with Dave Weinman, Michael Bumpus, Stacey Rost, and joining us right now, Ray Roberts. Let's go in the trenches. We're going to start by talking about this Seahawks offense. Ray, they have so many offensive weapons and yet could not get much done in the red zone. What did you see on these five trips Sunday? Uh, well, I, I think one of the things that they kind of got away from the running game a little bit early, and it seemed like when they got down into the to the red zone, uh, they became a little bit more pass-heavy. And then also, I love uh, Kenneth Walker the third, but I do think that at times um, when you get into those short yardage inside the five and you're just trying to get it into the end zone, I think that's a great opportunity to get Charbonnet uh, into the game. It reminds me of when I was in um, Detroit and, you know, Barry had a similar running style to Kenneth Walker the third, and, uh, and we would always – take him out for a bigger back that was just kind of a straight-ahead runner uh, to get those short yardage gains. Not that Barry couldn't do it, but Barry had a uh, like a tendency to want to bounce things around and so uh, didn't always make for good short yardage runs. And so I think that was part of it. And then, you know, when we're just right on the edge of the red zone, the protection was just breaking down. So you could see guys coming open, uh, but then the protection, you know, uh, a, a, defense, a defender would flash in front of, of – uh, of uh, Gino, and he had to get out of the pocket. So it was, it was just like a series of unfortunate events. Mm. Big Ray, how tough is it um, as a unit on that offensive line to constantly have a different body in there? What, what's that? What's that do for the chemistry of that that unit? Yeah, it, it's really tough, Mike. Because you know, like I always say, like um, uh, the offensive line room is one of the hardest to establish because it's not like a running back group where you can have three or four running backs, one, one and a half of them are, you know, monsters and the whole running back room is elevated or the same thing with the receivers. But with the offensive line, you really truly have to have five dudes that are working as one, because if one guy is not right, then the whole play can be blown up. And so understanding what guys' strengths and weaknesses are, are important. So that takes time together, playing beside each other, getting to know each other. When I played in Detroit, I had this uh, left guard, Mike Compton, and uh, he and I, I mean, we were just like, I mean, we knew exactly each other's strengths and weaknesses to where we wouldn't even have to communicate it. We just knew on this, on a certain play, hey, he knew he needed to be on my inside a little bit uh, uh, tighter, like in pass protection. On a run block, I may have had to, I may have to spend a little bit more time on the double team with him. And so, and, and so we knew that kind of stuff. Or he knew like, hey, I know Ray, can, Ray got this dude by himself today. I, I can go help the center. So that kind of stuff is important. And, uh, and so it's hard to establish that when you have guys uh, in and out and then also dudes playing spots they don't normally play. So the center's playing guard, the right guard's playing left guard, like all that kind of stuff. Hey, Ray, I, uh, I, I was kind of, you know, I allow myself to complain about play calling and things like that, just like everybody else, all the while recognizing that I'm – not better than Shane Waldron, but you know I I love the three tight end set, and I think I think especially Colby and 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 Will Disley are are good blockers. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think? What's your ass- assessment of the tight ends blocking ability? Yeah, like I've always said, like tight ends blocking. You know, there's a few of them that are really good, like George Kittle and and um, um, Taylor Swift's boyfriend. Um, but uh, <laughs> but the, the most the most important thing is they have to be willing blockers. There are some yeah. some tight ends that take make business decisions, 
and they don't want to engage with some of those big defensive ends or linebackers. But all three of our guys, even Noah Fant, are willing blockers. And to me, uh, Noah and and uh, Will do better when they're attached to the line of scrimmage. And uh, Parkinson is very good at being in motion and then being uh, a blocker on the run. He's very good at looking up the guy that he needs to block, getting to him, attaching to him, and then being able to sustain the block. And so I do like some of the cool little formations where they have them two in the backfield so the play almost feels like uh, is a counterplay with the, with the, with the guys already uh, on that side of the ball. Uh, but I do like the idea of having the two attached to the line of scrimmage because when you're off the line of scrimmage, it allows for penetration. And then those guys have a tough time when you're, when you're impacting a defensive end or linebacker you know, two yards in the backfield. They're not necessarily going to move those guys four yards. You know, so having them on the line of scrimmage where they can at least get a stalemate and then having one of them in motion to kind of lead the running back, to me, that's where they've had their biggest uh, run plays uh, in, that, in that situation. Hey, a uh, big topic of conversation this week has been DK Metcalf and those penalties. Have you ever had um, like a teammate <laughs> that was getting in some controversy? I mean, like how would you handle that as a member of the team? Well, um, unfortunately, I was that dude. Um, <laughs> I, I got into a, a, a lot of fights, you know, I always, it wasn't necessarily me being frustrated or whatever, but I always, I never let people take cheat shots at, at our quarterbacks or our running backs, or our receivers. Like if that was happening, that wasn't a fight for them. That was a fight for me. And so, uh, and so I, I've gotten my share of fines and I've uh, been kicked out of uh, like two or three football games for fighting. And, uh, but at some point you have to realize that, and like some people say, oh, he's just really passionate. Well, when it gets to that place, it's not passion anymore. It's like out of control, uh, frustration and, and anger. And so you have to, you have to learn how to go right to that line without crossing the line. And early in his career, he was pretty good at that. He was really good at getting dudes really angry and then he would walk away and they would get the penalty. But then, you know, the last few years, he's the guy picking up the penalties because he, he hasn't. He had, he's forgotten how to stop right at that line. And uh, to me, that's, a, that's a, a piece of maturity. It was a little bit frustrating, his response. No one's asking you to be a different player. We're just asking you to be uh, more self-aware as you're playing. And so, uh, yeah, be aggressive. You know, play bully ball. Like, you know, you're a big dude playing against smaller guys. Like, impose your will on them and all that kind of stuff. But be self-aware enough to know, that if you're picking up penalties and you don't have enough control to know when that penalty is going to come, you could, you could, you could really put your team in a bad situation. So um, have been self-aware a little bit more mature about it. And no one's asking you to, to not be aggressive or not try to be the bully on the field and all that kind of stuff, but just, just be a little bit more conscious of, of the ramifications when you cross the line. So I wasn't here. I was in Denver, but I did watch on film Ray Roberts take on the entire Raider defense. He fought everybody. <laughs> yes, I did. Yep. And uh, and one of the craziest ones is um, was I was in Detroit, and it was <laughs> it was like ten seconds left in the game, and Scott Mitchell threw an interception. And in Detroit, I mean in Minnesota, that's when they had John Tierling was a defensive line coach. And so on interceptions, he'd always tell the defensive line to go after the quarterback, go at, act like you're blocking him, but they try to knock the heck out of him. And so John Randall just crushed Scott Mitchell, and I just came right behind and punched him right in the air hole. Bang! And I got kicked out of the game with two seconds left in the game. And so that was like a double, that was like a, 
five-figure fine for getting kicked out of the game. Mm. And so um, when I got home, we were playing in Minnesota. When I got home, I opened the door, and all five foot four, like 125 pounds of my wife was just standing there, and she said, no more. And I was like, yes, ma'am. <laughs> she was like, let somebody else take it for the team. Like, let, let somebody else have that money automatically taken out of their paycheck. And I was like, yes, ma'am, I'll do that. And that was the last time uh, I got a fine or kicked out of a football game for being a little overly aggressive. Hey, Big Ray, uh, real quick, do um, the Hawks are like a zone-based team. Would you like yep. to see more, more pulling, more trapping, more power? Yeah, I think so, but I think the best dudes that do that are, are Damian Lewis. Uh, Damian, is, he seems like to be the, the, the most mobile of those uh, guards. Um, not that they all can't do it, but when he has done it in the past, when they've just done the regular uh, power where you're just pulling the guard, uh, he's had some pretty good success at that. You know, when Dwayne Brown was here, they, he was really a really good uh, blocker on the run, too, so they could do a, a true tackle guard counter where you pull the backside guard and tackle like from left to right leading the running back uh but i do think that they can do some of this uh pin and pull stuff because they have guys that are athletic enough i think even like if you had let's say you're running the ball to the right and you have the right tackle and the tight end block down and you have a guy like bradford pull around to the right and so you kind of toss the ball and toss the ball and have a, a sweep to the right i think you can do some some pin and pull stuff like that uh but it, as it relates to like the, the guys that do it the best that I've seen do it the best on this offensive line, uh, it has been um, it has been uh, Damian Lewis is is probably best suited for that. But I think you have to have like people will say like, uh, oh well they run a power scheme and they run a, a zone scheme. It's all power, dude. Like it's it's all power. It's it's just a, it's just the the different you know uh, philosophies on how you're doing it. Uh, whether it's a man power scheme or or, or, or zone power scheme is you're all playing with power. So uh, I think pin and pull is, is something they should maybe look into because uh, you could also pull the you know Damian Lewis with uh, Parkinson as uh, replacing the tackle. So you can do it that way. So you have a guard a guard uh, tight end counter uh, scheme. So I think they're capable of doing that, uh, and and hopefully they'll get to some more of that kind of stuff. You can hear more from Ray Roberts on the Seahawks pre- and post-game show hosted by Michael Bumpus on this Sunday. Thanks so much, Ray. Thanks, Ray. Yes, ma'am. You guys have a great one. See ya. Uh, All right, Voice of the Seahawks, Steve Rabel joins us next. Our preview continues on the huddle. This this is the huddle. Huddle. Presented by Hunt Services and Pacific Lamp and Supply. Every Thursday from noon to 2 on Seattle Sports. You are listening to The Huddle with Dave Wyman, Michael Bumpus, and Stacey Ross. We're talking to the voice of the Seahawks. Steve Rabel joins us now. Hey, Rabes, how's it going? Great, guys. How are you? Uh, we're great. You know what is so weird? We've had uh, two losses to talk about this year. After week one, everyone was very somber. Everyone's very upset. I think after this loss, people are frustrated, certainly frustrated, um, but I didn't find myself uh, thinking that, you know, we would call you or Ray Roberts, like, seeking some kind of reassurance. Like, I feel pretty good about this team still. How are you feeling? Well, and yeah, I'm the last person in the world to call for reassurance. Uh, you know, <laughs> at, at Dave, I'm generally just a dour old son of a gun. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I talked to uh, uh, Draymond uh, Jones right after the game. And um, I said, you know, sometimes losing 45 to nothing is easier than the loss today. Mm -hmm. But I said, you know, there were a lot of positives, and he absolutely agreed. He said, you know, 
we're not hanging our heads here. He said, especially on defense. He said, I, I, that they played their best game on defense. There were a lot of really, really positive things to point to. It, Pete did that. Uh, you know, he doesn't believe, obviously, nor does anybody else in moral victories. But uh, I think it was a game where the defense certainly came together, um, taking another step forward. Offense still is a work in progress, at least in the red zone they are. But, you know, you can kind of see what some of those issues were. Uh, offensive line was so beat up, and it finally caught up with them. Bengals have a really good – Dave and I talked about it during the course of the game – a really good front four. They can really get after the quarterback. So I, I, I don't think, um, you know, the team was, was – too terribly upset other than the fact that they let one get away that they know they could have won raves um known you for a few years now and uh you know i would i would describe you as like a diva receiver you know i could imagine you <laughs> just complained about not getting the ball or whatnot <laughs> but uh, all, all jokes aside man uh tell me what you're thinking about about dk and and how he's handling that situation you know, um, DK is, is he's an emotional player, and, and you know, that, that helps him uh, in some ways, and sometimes it works against him. And, you know, coaches are going to talk to him, and he's going to do all the right things as best he can. But every so often, you know, he just gets something goes off, and, and I think a lot of it has to do with now other teams, DBs all around the league know they can push his buttons and they can upset him. Uh, you know, I, for one, uh, if I was a 5'9 or 5'10 defensive back, the last thing I'd want to do is get, you know, DJ Metcalf pissed off at me, DK Metcalf. But th- that's just me because I'm, I'm, you know, I was a little bit of a wuss. But still, uh, I, I just. Was. Wow. Yeah. Thank Dang. you very much. I, I, I appreciate it. Couldn't uh, help it. I, <laughs> I know. But he does, you know. They're, they cost his team. They We can seem to be overcoming them. And, you know, he talks to Pete, and and uh, he says all the right things. But he also said yesterday, hey, I'm not going to change the way I play. And really, nobody wants him to. They just want him to be, you know, every so often, kind of when that little voice in your head says, go after that guy, listen to the one that says, go back to the huddle. <laughs> yeah. Well, Rage, what was it like? What was the level of like smack talk when you were playing? Because I feel like now there's certainly more ammunition, right? Like, uh, I think guys can get into a guy's Wikipedia page and see, you know, different details about them or things that they've done, stuff like that. What was it like back when when, when you were playing? Did it did it go on that much? Do you remember? Uh, you know, I don't remember a lot of that, uh, quite frankly, Dave. I, I do remember a couple of guys that, that would kind of jaw at you a little bit. George Atkinson was one for the Raiders. He'd talk a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. He was one of their safeties. And, you know, they had they had some guys that would just flat level you. You talk about what what DK does. I mean, those guys, they, they you know, they Jack Tatum knocked me unconscious. I think I've told that story before. And And, you know, they weren't adverse to standing around and celebrating something like that. Um, but there were a few guys, they mostly did it with their actions. You know, I remember when I was a rookie and, uh, we'd line up as wide receivers and we'd go into a three point stance. That's the way we did it our first year. So here you are in a three point stance and you're kind of looking in to see the ball cause you got to look for the, the snap, right? Pat Fisher, who was one of the great defensive backs of that era, five ten, if he was standing on a phone book. Not a very big guy. 
he came up um, right at the snap, very first part of the game, I'll never forget, came up on the first snap and just jacked me up. I mean, he hit me right in the face with a forearm, and he said, hey, rookie, you better be looking for me because I'm going to be looking for you. And that was my introduction into always being aware of what these veterans can do to you if you're not if you're not prepared. Now they tend to do more talking, but then they just come up and hit you in the mouth. Now explain to everyone what a phone book uh, is. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I yeah, talked about a phone booth the other day, and I had to describe it to the kids. No, they didn't know, you know what a phone booth was. Oh, there's yeah. Yeah. Why would they? Yeah. Dave, I heard you guys talking about that, and I was going to call in and tell you there is a phone booth uh, in London, right near Parliament, because when we were over there doing you know our game a couple of years ago, three or four years ago now, um, I had a picture taken uh, standing next to it, a little red phone box. Really cool, actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Um Rabes, uh, we've been uh, talking a lot about an Arizona team, and one of the things that I've learned about this team is that a team I thought would be the worst in football actually has a pretty decent uh, defensive front, which doesn't sound good when you consider an injury report that has Evan Brown, Jake Curran, Charles Cross, Phil Haynes, and Damian Lewis uh, on the front of it. So I'm a little bit nervous, um, but if you, and I'm sure you've entered um, games or, or watched games of this uh, Seahawks team before, when they go in shorthanded, let's assume that not every starter is, is going to be able to play. Certainly Abe Lucas won't be out there. Um, what suddenly, how do you counterbalance that? Is it like, hey, you got to hope for a big day from the run? Is it, hey, Gino and, and uh, Shane Waldron have to be on their best behavior? I mean, what? how would you look at a way to overcompensate for an injured offensive line in this one? Well, I think one of the things that Pete would certainly say, Stace, is don't try to do too much. If you're, you know, if you're an offensive lineman up there, whether you're a veteran guy like Evan Brown or you're a rookie like Bradbury, you do your job first and foremost. And if that means, you know, starting on a double team and then if you're the guard and then sliding off and going up to the next level onto a linebacker, then that's your job. If it means, you know, blocking the defensive end or the outside linebacker who's rushing, these guys, you know, they're, they're front three. They're pretty good. Nobody knows who they are, but they're pretty good. But it's their backers who I think are better. They've got, what, four, seven and a half, ten sacks between the three outside backers who all can rush the passer. Those guys will will get after Geno if they're given half a chance. So what do you do? Well, you know, we've always said teams that like to really rush, especially off the edges, uh, run at them. Uh, Kick them out and run at them. And I, I think we could get our running game going a little bit better. I think that helps the offensive line, too. They'd rather just fire off the ball and block somebody. But this is also a secondary that's given up a ton of yards. Uh, so there are some opportunities to throw the ball downfield against these guys. Uh, do, do your job if you're on, on the offensive line, and hopefully we'll get Abe back in the next couple of weeks. Um, we already have Cross back now. The young guys are playing pretty decently. Um, let, let's, just, let's just let them get a little bit better. He is the voice of the Seahawks, Steve Rabel, kind enough to join us on the huddle. Thanks so much, Rabes. Thanks, Rabes. Thanks, guys. See you later. All right, let's learn a bit more about these Arizona Cardinals Seahawks opponent for Week 7 with an opponent preview that's coming your way next. This is the huddle. Presented by Hunt Services and Pacific Lamp and Supply. Every Thursday from noon to 2 on Seattle Sports. 
You are listening to The Huddle with Dave Wyman, Michael Bumpus, and Stacey Ross. It's time for an opponent preview. Taking a look at the Arizona Cardinals with ESPN's Josh Weinfuss. Hey, Josh, how's it going? I am great. Thanks for having me. Uh, we're, we're happy to have you always, uh, this time though, I, I'm so used to like, you know, in the past when we've had you on, it's like, you know, Hey, what's going on with cliff? (laughs) What's going to happen here? And, and now Josh, I was entering the season fully expecting the Arizona Cardinals. I know you won't take offense to this to be the worst roster in football. Like that's what I thought the story was coming out of Glendale is like, Hey, they're in full rebuild mode. They're figuring it out. And then they beat the Cowboys, <laughs> and they were pretty competitive in some other games, and I don't know what to make of them. I mean, how are you looking at this team right now? First off, I'm not offended. I didn't build this roster, um, and you're not <laughs> right. wrong. You and everyone else expected this to be the worst team in football. Um, and here's the thing. Still are, they, still, they still are rebuilding, right? They're still trying to you know, basically stripped down this roster. I mean, this is like compared to a house, right? Right now we're at the studs and they're slowly rebuilding everything. And the goal is to have like this beautiful, you know, what's the new trend? Like all these beautiful farmhouses, right? Like that's what it's going to look like in a couple of years. Um, And and I think this team has already defined expectations, right? Even with one win, I think just the way they played on the field. I think, you know, one thing we kept hearing during during training camp from Jonathan Gannon is like, our team's going to play really hard. And you're like, yeah, that's a bunch of coach speak, but they legitimately play very hard. Like this defense, when they're healthy, is really good. Not just good, like really good. Especially that front seven. They had a lot of depth until injuries just riddled the offense, uh, the defensive line. Um, and then offensively, like they have the pieces. I just think that obviously Josh Dobbs coming in two before the season started, not ideal, right? Like I, I am convinced that this team would have won their first three games had Josh Dobbs been here even two weeks earlier and they end up going, you know, they beat the Cowboys. Obviously they, you know, got, they lost to the Niners, but that was after keeping it close through three quarters. So I think the team is better than everyone expected them to be. Now they're being hit by the injury bug and there's some major injuries across the, 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 the roster, which I think is going to, you know, kind of expose the depth of this team. I think that's going to be an issue going forward. Hey Josh, when you look at this team on paper, uh, there's a, a stat that sticks out to me, number six in the league when it comes to running the football. Um, who do you accredit that to? Is it offensive line, the RBs? Um, uh, is it a, a group effort? How have they been able to have been so successful on the ground? I think it's twofold. I mean, obviously the offensive line is playing well. I think to me this is one of the better offensive lines the team's had in the last 10 years. Um, but I think a lot of it's you know, scheme. Like they are committed to the run. Um, and I think with Cliff, it was like, kind of like, yeah, you know, like we'll run the ball, we'll pass the ball, we'll Kyler run. Like, you know, there's no like, like, like this is a run first team and they are going to build the pass off the run, which sounds cliche, but like they're actually doing it. I think a lot of the credit needs to go to James Conner before he got hurt. Like this guy was playing really good football. I think before he got hurt, he was like eighth in the league in rushing. And he is, I, I thought this during training camp, I thought he came into the season looking as good as he looked. As he's been in, since he's been in Arizona, and that I think translated very quickly to the field. And he was running hard. He was running smart. Not the fastest guy out there. Nobody will argue that. But like he was, he was hitting the accelerator when he needed to, and that created some chunk plays and explosives that this team really needed. So I would say James Conner was the g- genesis for why this running game has been so good. You mentioned that when healthy, the defense is really good, not just kind of good, but really good. I hate to hit you with a double barrel question, but um, what is so good about them? And then how healthy are they right now? 
Uh, I'll answer number two first. Not healthy. Not that oh, healthy, no. right? Like, <laughs> they had um, – their defensive line really got crushed by uh, some injuries. And um, I just don't know when – like, we don't know when some of these guys will be back. Like, they lost two guys to, to bicep injuries, which might be season-ending. We just haven't heard yet. Um, but what, what made them so good was, like, it, the defensive line it doesn't have that big name on it. But what they were doing early was they were getting so much push up front that it forced quarterbacks to go one way or the other. Like they couldn't just step up in the pocket. They didn't have time. And that allowed their pass rush, which their outside linebacker room is probably as deep as it's been. I, I'm, I'll go out on limb and say ever in franchise history, right? Like it's, they had so many weapons on the outside that they would just send these guys in and like lines. It looked like a cracking game, right? Like they just had guys coming in like three at a time, like literally. And they would just, Fresh legs would just rush the passer. And Nick Rawls, the defense coordinator, got creative and he started running these packages that had like three outside linebackers on the field and one defensive lineman or four outside linebackers and no offensive linemen. So they create, or no defensive linemen. So they create like this, this, these mismatches that benefited the Cardinals because it was a lot of speed against these big, slow offensive linemen is really what it comes down to. And they were winning a lot and they started to roll that out on third down and they were getting stops and they're getting sacked. And then they started rolling it out on other downs and they realized like how good of a package it was and how creatively they could be against some offenses. And it was working. And then the injury bug hit. And I think some defenses, some offenses started to figure out like how to block it a little bit better. But when you're not getting the push up front, the pass rush isn't going to really work that well off the edge. And I think that's what they're dealing with now. Now, obviously, Kyler Murray is not in the game. You got Joshua Dobbs, who's been uh, who's been filling in. He's had some good moments, but seems to have struggled late in the game, especially when it comes to taking care of the football. Is it uh, is it ball security? Is it is it the line getting beat up and guys sending these these blitz at him that that makes him uh um not crack under pressure, but you know, kind of turn the ball over late in the game? What do you see in there? First off, I did not expect Kyler Murray's name to take this long to come up, so bravo to you guys for that. <laughs> we try um, our best, Josh. <laughs> um, I think Josh Dobbs is, I think it's a, it's a little bit of everything, to be honest. I guess I think it's, I don't think he's cracking under pressure. I don't think he's that type of person. Um, I think a lot of it, you know, what they're putting on, on tape now, teams are starting to figure out. This is a brand new offense, new coordinator, and all that stuff. So now there's some, what, six games of tape. Teams are starting to figure out what they're doing. Um, I think that, you know, I think they're still trying to figure out each other in terms of a receiver quarterback relationship. You know, like, like he could do some things really well. Josh Dobbs, one thing I have noticed that he struggled with is, you know, throwing the ball high to receivers. He's, there are a handful of plays that since he's been, you know, here this season that I'm sure he'd want back, but they could have been made. They could have been explosive plays or even touchdowns, but he sailed the ball a little too high. We noticed that during his two weeks of practice that he was doing that as well when he first got here. So, you know, I think it's just a combination of, you know, that the, the chemistry is still being built. You know, there's, I think there's, a, you know, a, a talent issue just overall everywhere on this offense. I think they have some, you know, good skill players, but not great skill players. There's a couple here and there. Um, and then, you know, I think you have a guy like Zach Ertz who's still trying to get back to that level he was at pre-injury. You know, you have the receiving core. You, you know, Marquise Brown, Hollywood Brown, is he's a very good receiver, um, but he's also not, you know, 6'4". So they're trying to throw balls to him that a 6'4 receiver will catch, but he's under six feet. He just can't catch them. So there's a lot of things like that that are happening. But, you know, Josh Dobbs went a long time without an interception. And then, you know, I think anyone who's been around this league for a long time knows, like, 
picks just come in bunches, right? Like this is this is how it is. It's just fluff, flow of the season, and you know, just like stacks, stacks come in bunches. And I think that he's just in one of those stretches now where they're just coming more than he wants. And I'm sure that at some point they'll break out of it. I think the Cardinals hope he'll break out of it, but I don't think it's a major concern. With all this being said, like he's not going to be the quarterback in three weeks, so they're just trying to get through until Kyler's back at this point. Uh, all right, uh, quickly here, um, uh, not asking for a game prediction or a score prediction, but uh, I guess what matchup are you most curious about in this one? Oh, I, oh, that's a good question. I don't know. I think I'd be curious if the defense, if the Cardinals defense can get can get in the backfield, right? I think the okay. running game is going to be uh, interesting because the Cardinals running game is going to be interesting just because they're going, you know, it's a running back by committee. But I'm, I'm, I like, I'm curious to see if the Cardinals can kind of get back on this trend of getting to the quarterback. I mean, they were ranked in the top three in stacks for the first like quarter of the season. Like, can they get back to getting in the backfield and getting to the quarterback? That's, that's what I'm curious about. Honestly, Josh, considering the game Seattle just had and also the injuries they have up front, I think that's the matchup we're watching as well. So we are all on the same page with that one. Uh, he is Josh Weinfuss of ESPN. Make sure you're reading his work at ESPN.com, especially ahead of this divisional matchup. Thanks so much, Josh. Thanks, Josh. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. You guys are listening to The Huddle. Next up, we're talking with our own reporter, Seahawks.com's John Boyle, joins us to talk about some of those injuries up front. Who has a chance to play in Week 7? Don't go anywhere. This is The Huddle. Presented by Hunt Services and Pacific Lamp and Supply. Every Thursday from noon to 2 on Seattle Sports. This is The Huddle with Dave Wyman, Michael Bumpus, Stacey Rost, and joining us right now, John Boyle, a reporter for Seahawks.com. Hey, John, how's it going? Good. How are you guys doing? Uh, well, we're good. I'm a little bit confused. Pete Carroll's press conference on Wednesday, Wednesday um, <laughs> sounded like uh, some of these guys on the offensive line were at least going through walkthroughs, maybe making their way back. And then, lo and behold, I see every single starter pop up on the injury report. I know some of these guys were limited. Yeah. But what's the status for just the starters here? Can you, can we have this conversation at about 2 o'clock on Friday? Yeah, no, I, no problem. I, don't, I mean, <laughs> look, I, I think some of them, you know, Charles Cross seemed to get through the game fine. He's, you know, seems to be trending towards being just right back where he left off. Yeah. Evan Brown's the one we don't know about because he, yeah, he got one. through the game fine. He hasn't been mentioned by Pete Carroll, and he pops upon the injury report. Yeah. He didn't practice at all, did he? No, he was. Yeah. So so Evan Brown and Jake yeah. Curran were non-participants, and then Cross, Haynes, Lewis were all limited. Yeah. So, I mean, like Pete said, some of those guys are able to go through walkthroughs yeah. and get some of those reps and then be right. limited in practice. Curran, so, yeah. Yeah. So we'll, we'll have to wait. I mean, it's kind of up in the air. I, you know, they tend to be cautious on the injury report, okay. maybe more so than most teams in terms of just the amount of guys they list. Yeah. So um, I don't tend to read too much into a Wednesday injury report, but you know, we'll see what, what it looks like Friday. All right. With bounce back game, uh, yep. Arizona Cardinals. Now, we know Arizona is a team that we feel like the Seahawks should be, but this is the NFL. you got to prepare for everybody. Um, if there's something that you would fix with this offense right now to help for this weekend, Coach Boyle, what would you fix? <laughs> well, first of all, if I'm coaching, they're in trouble. Um, no, I look, I know the red zone's what everyone was freaking out about last week, but they've actually been a pretty good red zone team before that game, and I think there's just a lot of circumstances you know, between the offensive line being beat up and then the defense in Cincinnati just being really good that that worries me less. I, I want to see third down. That's kind of been the thing all year. And they did. They were better on third down in Cincinnati than they have been most of the season. But to me, they've been, you know, all the numbers point to them being a very efficient first and second down offense. Mm-hmm. So just start converting even a little bit better. I mean, a couple more third downs a game to extend drives can make a huge difference. So just get third down a little cleaner. I'll feel pretty darn good about this offense. Right. 
I think the thing that got lost was how well the defense played. Yeah. I mean, no, there it, were some individual efforts where I was Bump and I were just looking at Draymond Jones's sack, which mm-hmm. was ridiculous. Uh, Trey Brown with the coverage on Jamar Chase getting the pick. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, there was so much to like. Uh, what's the sort of spirit of the defense this week? Well, and I think that might be, you know, bigger picture why people weren't as down on this loss. Uh, you know, it, it's really point. disappointing when you have a chance to win a, multiple cracks. I mean, they had four possessions to take the lead in the second half in the inside the red zone and they didn't do it. So that's frustrating. But I think the reason maybe people aren't as down on that loss is a, you know, it's, it's a good opponent on the road, but B coming into the season, the big question we all had, I think we all thought this offense is going to be pretty good. And I feel confident still saying that the big question is kind of the defense and some of the, you know, issues from last year and what's going to get better and where are they going to improve? And now you've had, you know, really three games in a row, the Carolina game, the numbers aren't quite as good because part of it was they were playing for a head Seahawks were playing from ahead, but really three games in a row playing pretty strong defense and two weeks in a row looking really good. So that I think people can look at the on the team can look at the big picture of like, we know this offense is going to be fine. We trust this offense. And now the defense is doing what it's doing. You feel like this team is one that could really make some noise. You mentioned there being some real trust in the offense. And I think that's true. I mean, that's how I felt after week one, mm-hmm. which was horrible. They had 12 yards total yeah. for the offense in the second half. But we all still talked about feeling confident because of all the weapons they had. With defense, I feel like that confidence is new for me because of kind of how up and down they've been for the last couple years, how much they've struggled. But I'm finding that confidence growing based on how some of these guys are playing. Is that how you feel? Yeah. And I mean, two things that really jump out to me is one, how we've seen the guys up front really improve, especially in the pass rush. And yeah. I think that was a lot of that was just a factor of the newness up front. I mean, you all three starters, Mario Edwards, Jaron Reed, and Draymond Jones were new this year. So that it took them a little time, but now that group's doing what it's doing. And then the way the secondaries improved so much, some of that's just getting guys healthy. I mean, last week was the first time we saw that group of five of Reek and Trey Brown, Witherspoon and the nickel and the two safeties, really three safeties, we throw Love in there as well. It's the first time we've seen all those guys together for a game. And I just think all the way back to camp, that looked like it could be a strength mm-hmm. of the team, but we never really got to see it put together. So now that they're all playing together and looking good, I just I like this defense on all three levels yeah. a lot. Obviously, all the drama that's been going on with DK this week, right? Yeah. Um, I look at DK and how he handles that situation. Then I look at Gino and how he handles the loss. And I go, all right, they're, they're kind of opposite the way they handle things, I guess, publicly. Gino always says the right thing. Um, DK, I feel like, is like fed up. He's like, man, just let me be me. Um, is, do you think there's anyone on this team who feels comfortable talking to DK? Or yeah. is there a point – is he at a point where – people are hesitant to kind of ruffle his feathers. No, in. I think plenty of guys in that locker room feel comfortable talking to him. And I mean, even Pete Carroll, I've, I've seen this kind of criticism like, Oh, that, you know, Pete Carroll needs to do something. Pete Carroll's not a coach who's going to air guys out in public. Right. And I look, I'm not behind the scenes seeing this, but I can, I would guarantee you there's conversations Pete Carroll's having with DK Metcalf that are much stricter than anything he's telling us in right. public. And I mean, that's, that's to me, I mean, there's kind of a sidebar here, but that's always been an underrated strength of Pete Carroll is the way he protects his players. I mean, you can go back over the years, quarterback makes a bad play, defense gets torched. It's we, we did this wrong. We missed a coverage there. We missed a throw. He does not throw players under the bus. So he's not going to do that to DK. He probably doesn't love the penalties and I'm sure it's something he's addressing, but, um, and I mean, look, He's a great player. He's made some penalties they wish they could have back, but I don't think it's something that's going to be a big deal breaker for this team because he's the the net good is 
a lot better than the occasional bad penalty. Right. Trying to trying to think, anybody else besides DJ Dallas return punts and kicks? Do I'm both. Tr- I'm trying to I'm trying to like think. It, is anybody else around the league or no? No, on this team, t- has he been the returner been for the yeah. this year? He's been. Yeah, I mean, he's they've been used the, some defensive backs before, but. Yeah, I, I, I mean, DJ, I, don't, I feel like we haven't talked enough about because yeah, he's, he's number five as far as uh, punts, uh, punt returns, 14 and a half, and I think he's top 10 as far as kickoff returns. And it wasn't like he broke huge you know, runs, but he's been consistent. Yeah. Uh, really, really good about getting him really good field position. Yeah, he's been really solid back there. And he's a guy that, I mean, really, I think since Tyler Lockett, he's the first guy to regularly do both for this team. And, you know, I think in the past he's done it you feel like he's safe he's going to make good decisions and he's going to protect the football which is by far the most important thing for mm-hmm. Pete Carroll with the returner but right. this year it's transitioned to yeah he's still going to be safe and take care of the football but he's also getting you a lot of yardage and he's you know really decisive on kick returns he's making you know making some big plays so it's he's helped that special teams quite a bit um, I'm going to take a little bit more time for our final thoughts um, because it's a trickier question for all of us here. But Uh-oh. I think an important one, especially after a loss, John, you talked about still having faith in, or excuse me, confidence in the offense. And, you know, we talked about, um, you know, what's giving us confidence in the defense. So my question for all of us is going to be something we are confident about when it comes to week seven. You can interpret this however you want, but feels good to do after a loss um, and it allows you to explore the team in some different ways. So John, I'll start with you and I'll get the last word in, but um, we'll just go with um, what you're confident about for week seven. We've still got about two minutes here. So we're good. I'm confident we're going to see Geno Smith bounce back in a big way. For starters, I don't think he was nearly as bad as a lot of people wanted to say he was against Cincinnati, but there were the turnovers. You know, he's going to put it on himself in the red zone, no matter what, even though I think maybe pass protection is a big culprit there and some other things. But yeah, I, I just think he's the kind of guy, A, that will respond well to adversity, and B, I just think this Arizona pass defense presents some opportunities. So that I'm pretty confident we'll see a good game out of Geno Smith in the passing game. Wyman, what are you confident about for Week 7? We're going to see big plays out of the defense. Um, you, Devin Witherspoon, Quandre Diggs, Jamal. you know, And also another guy I would like to throw in there, Jordan Brooks. I feel like he has been kind of freed up to – you know, Bobby's calling the huddle. He, I think he's going to make plays. I think we're going to see some takeaways, some sacks, some big plays on defense. Bump, I might be able to guess your answer, but I'm let you go for it anyway. What are you confident about for week seven? JSN has his breakout game this week. He is so close to getting it done. If it wasn't for some pass protection that went down, Gino just missing him a couple of times. He's moving guys. He's filling space. He's looking comfortable. This is the week. Eleven introduces himself to the world, Craig, to the world. I (laughs) I love it. I am confident uh, that the Seahawks will try to adapt. I think that this is a group that hasn't always gotten the benefit of the doubt when it comes to trying to make changes and trying to grow. But I actually think that they do. I mean, I think you've seen them try to do that when it comes to the offensive line injuries. And I think they're going to try to do that when it comes to some of these red zone struggles. Maybe we see more from Zach Charbonnet in the red zone. Maybe we see them, uh, you know, try to get the ball out quicker. Whatever it is, I do feel confident that we are going to see them make an effort to adapt and to grow and change following that week six loss. Uh, make sure you guys are reading more from John on Seahawks.com. Thank you so much, Boyle. Boyle. Of course. Thanks for having me. All right, you guys, this has been The Huddle with Dave Wyman, Michael Bumpus, and Stacey Rost every single Thursday from noon to two. Don't go anywhere. Wyman and Bob coming up next. <laughs> 